Previously on Disappeared in the Desert. In early 2017, local FBI agents were contacted about an individual by the name of Christopher Clements. They were advised that Clements possibly had information relating to the disappearance of Isabel Sellis. I mean, I'm not doing this to be a good Samaritan, I'll be honest. If you gave us where she's at, would we be able to go and scoop her up this afternoon? Could we do that? Is that possible? With the information that yeah. I have, yes. Right. You could. Absolutely. Without a doubt. You could. Yeah. yeah. You could have her within 12 hours. 12 hours? You didn't take us that long? <laughs> I said within 12 hours. The new evidence and information, in conjunction with the details and evidence from the initial investigation, was presented to the Pima County Attorney's Office and then to the Pima County Grand Jury. On Friday, September 14th, 36-year-old Christopher Matthew Clements was indicted on multiple felony charges. It's been a long road. Uh, again, they believe in the system and they want to thank the community for everything they've done for so many years. It's, it's going to be a tough road. Uh, they're strong family. You're listening to a KOLD News 13 original podcast. I'm Bud Foster. And I'm Shaylee Sanders. This is Disappeared in the Desert. On March 3, 2017, Christopher Matthew Clements led FBI agents and other members of law enforcement to the site of Isabel Salas' remains, located in a remote area of Pima County. We obtained a transcript of the conversation between the two FBI special agents and Clements during that ride that took them down dirt roads in the middle of the desert. According to the transcript, Clements told the agents he remembered a landmark that would help them locate Salas' remains. The landmark? A stack of tires which immediately raised red flags because a few years prior, authorities had discovered the body of a Tucson teenager near that very stack of tires. Her name, Maribel Gonzalez. Let's go back to June 2014. At that point, Isabel Sellis had been missing for two years when 911 dispatchers received a shocking phone call. A woman called around noon to report what she believed to be a body along the side of the road in the area of Trico Road and Avra Valley Road. She told a responding deputy she was at a section of the road where it forks to the east, a road she sometimes took to avoid a rough portion of the main road. As the responding deputy looked at that dirt road, he saw markings that appeared to be drag marks. As he walked closer, he reported smelling decomposition, and that's when he saw her. A naked body buried under a stack of tires under a mesquite tree in what appeared to be a small wash. 
about 50 feet north was a large pit in the ground full of rubber tires. When our Disappeared in the Desert team drove out to this area all these years later, we found that pile of tires. Some looked newer, like it continued to be a dumping ground. While we saw a few homes, there were miles in between. So, I mean, really, I mean, we're out here in broad daylight, and it's not like anyone's going to see us. Definitely not at nighttime. And there's really no reason for anyone to be traveling along this road because there's really nothing out here. At the time of the discovery on June 6, 2014, investigators did not know who that girl was or what happened. In hopes of identifying her, deputies released information about Jane Doe, specifically a photo of a tattoo she had on her collarbone and a photo of the anchor necklace she was wearing. Even though it wasn't a lot of information, it was distinct enough to flood the 911 call center with tips. One of those calls came from a KLD News 13 viewer who said she thought she knew who the young woman was. She wasn't the only one. Several tips answered questions law enforcement desperately wanted to know. Thanks in part to the community's help, authorities believe the girl found abandoned in the desert was 13-year-old Maribel Victoria Gonzalez. We have the autopsy report of Maribel, conducted by the Pima County Medical Examiner's Office on June 9th at 10 in the morning at the Forensic Science Center on the south side of Tucson. Witnessing the examination were two Pima County Sheriff's Department detectives and a crime scene technician. Examiners inspected the outside of the body and did not find any obvious signs of trauma. It remained the same as they inspected the bones, the nerves, and the organs. There was no obvious signs of what led to the death of this young teen, according to the autopsy report. Later in the month, the results of a toxicology report arrived at the medical examiner's office from AIT Laboratories, located in Indianapolis, Indiana. Tissue of the spleen was tested for a variety of substances like fentanyl, opiates, and stimulants. The report said the testing of THC was canceled due to interference. The medical examiner's office told us an interfering substance in the specimen used for testing did not allow the lab to quantify the THC. This can happen in less than ideal specimens, such as decomposed remains or cavity blood and fluid. The final toxicology report came back positive for cannabinoids, carboxy-THC, which is a metabolite of marijuana, and ethanol. The medical examiner's report states Maribel was formally identified by comparing the DNA against her mother and her father because her fingerprints had negative results in AFIS, known as the Automated Fingerprint Identification Systems. Her cause of death was determined to be homicide by unspecified means because of how advanced the body was decomposing. The manner of death, homicide. She was a beautiful person that needs, didn't deserve this. She didn't deserve what happened to her because no little girl deserves that. That's Maribel's mother, Valerie Kalanji, who spoke to KOLD several times throughout the years. According to police reports we obtained, little evidence was collected at the scene. A deputy stated in the incident report several items were consistent with immigrant pedestrian traffic, including abandoned large plastic water jugs, abandoned and weathered backpacks, and duffel bags. The items were documented to have severe sun damage and were rotting. Old recreational vehicle trails were also found. 
How did Maribel end up in this remote area of the county? She was more than 35 miles away from her mom's apartment at Broadway and Kolb, located on the east side of Tucson, which was her last known whereabouts. Detectives interviewed Maribel's father, Aubrian, who lives in Safford, Arizona. It's a small city in Graham County, located northeast of Tucson. According to the 2020 census, just under 10,000 people live in that city. Aubrian told detectives Maribel's grandmother was supposed to be watching her while he was gone throughout the week on his job. He told detectives that Maribel had been dating a guy in his 20s who lived a couple of streets away. Aubrian indicated that Maribel's mother and maternal grandmother knew about the relationship and attempted to hide it from him. The guy's name is Mariano, and he told deputies in an interview he dated Maribel for three years. On his forearm, he has a tattoo of Maribel. But a friend of Maribel's told investigators the couple broke up months before Maribel's disappearance. Mariano said when Maribel went missing, she texted him that night around 11 or midnight, asking him to pick her up because she got into a fight with her mother. But he ignored it because he had to work early in the morning. He never saw her again. Aubrian also told detectives he received a text message on June 4, 2017 at 10.47 a.m., two days after she was last seen from an unknown number saying it was Maribel. She lost her phone and to try to call her at that number. Detectives did some searching and discovered Aubrian's girlfriend, Tara, sent the message. Tara was interviewed and agreed to take a polygraph test at the Safford Police Station. During the test, she wrote a statement that said, I don't know who killed Maribel Gonzalez. I was not involved with the death of Maribel Gonzalez. I did not cause Maribel's death. I do not know how Maribel was killed. I never saw Maribel naked. Nobody has ever told me if they were involved in Maribel's death. I never had a reason to hurt Maribel. I've never seen or saw Maribel between May 31st and June 6th, 2014. Everything I am stating is truthful. This is my written statement, signed by Tara. During the post-test interview with detectives, Tara told them she had been in love with Aubrian and she suspected he was not being faithful to her, nor caring about her and their child together. Tara said she was trying to contact him with text and phone calls, but he would seldom respond. She thought she could get him to call if he thought the text came from his daughter, Maribel. She said she had no idea what had happened to Maribel at the time. Tara told detectives from June 3rd through June 6th, she remained in Safford and could prove she was working two of those days. In the police documents, it's reported she never personally met or physically saw Maribel and their only contact had been on Facebook. Maribel's mother, Valerie, says she saw Maribel for the last time the night before, on June 2nd, the night before she went missing. She and Maribel had just moved out of their duplex to stay with a friend of Valerie's for a few days. A friend of Maribel, named Thomas, told Pima County detectives the last time he heard from Maribel, she told him she was going to come see him at his apartment, but she never showed up. Detectives document from the interview with Thomas that he insisted he thought Maribel was 18 years old, but they never had any type of physical or sexual relationship with her. Maribel's father told detectives a few days before her disappearance, Tucson police confiscated her phone when she was arrested for stealing her mother's car. When detectives interviewed a former teacher of Maribel, they said at the time she was a constant runaway and rarely showed up for school. 
According to the detailed incident report, a detective writes he previously learned that there were messages from the day of Maribel's disappearance on her Facebook account with someone in which the two discussed getting marijuana. When they interviewed the person who was messaging Maribel, he said Maribel acted as though she was 19 or 20 years old around older guys. The last time he saw her was two weeks before she disappeared. I talked to retired Tucson Police Department Captain Richard Harper, now teaching at the University of Arizona. He worked several missing persons cases during his tenure. We asked how searching for Maribel at the time she was missing may have been different than the search for Isabel Sellis. One of the standard things I did for, say, for example, older juveniles between, say, uh, 10 and 15, is I would send officers to the malls. Just give us a description, give us a picture. You two officers go to Elcon or go to Park Place, wherever it happens to be. Go to the strip set. That's your job is to check all the retail. According to Mariano, Maribel would walk everywhere in Tucson, even at night. Valerie told officers in an interview that Maribel was constantly at the park mall and went by herself sometimes. Friends of Maribel told detectives she was continually approached by guys. It's the same mall that Isabel Sellis lived by, and Christopher Clements met his fiancée. A former manager at EG's, a sandwich and frozen fruit drink chain in the greater Tucson area, told police that Maribel and her friend used to hang out at the store on Broadway and Kolb after school. The last time he saw her, the girls recognized a tan, older sedan, either a Toyota Camry or a Nissan Sentra, with four doors and chrome rims. They approached the car and got in. Maribel Gonzalez was 5 feet tall, 91 pounds, and had brown hair. As mentioned before, she had a butterfly tattoo on her collarbone. Family shared more on the type of person she was to KWLD throughout the years. Her father. When she'd be around families and, uh, you know, all of the families should be uh, trying to make everybody laugh. And, you know, she was always, uh, she trusted too many people. She was a good, you know, she... Uh, she thought everybody was her friend, and I would tell her sometimes, you know, not everybody's friendly, so you got to be careful. She accepted everybody, and she looked, you know, she had a big heart, and she always, like I said, was a comedian. And if anybody got some information, whether they think it's tiny or dumb or or not important, uh, it's, you know, every, every little bit counts. Her brother. You know, dealing with her loss is a very hard thing for me because that was one of the closest people to me. Valerie was in the hospital when Maribel was found dead. She was going through her own near-death experience that took place six months prior on New Year's Day. Here's what happened. Michael Leday got into a fight with Cindy Burnett while walking near 36th Street near Campbell on the south side of Tucson. At the time, authorities said Patrick Balbastro and his girlfriend Valerie were driving through the neighborhood and saw the fight and pulled over. Patrick called 911 to tell them he was going to help Cindy, but Michael attacked him when he got out of the car. Valerie also got out of the car. According to police reports, Michael got into Patrick's car and ran all three of them over multiple times and drove off. Cindy Burnett and Patrick Balbastro died from their injuries. Michael Leday was convicted of double murder and sentenced to 57 and a half years in prison in 2015, with credit for 699 days served. 
Valerie survived the ordeal but was in a coma for a time and recovering in the hospital when her daughter was found. Similar to the Isabel Sellis case, what happened to Maribel remained a mystery for years. While Maribel's body was found, investigators couldn't determine what happened to her and who did it. When Isabel's remains were found in the same area as Maribel, Tucson Police Chief Chris Magnus said the investigation expanded. After learning Isabel and Maribel were located in close proximity to one another, the Tucson Police Homicide Unit and Pima County Sheriff's Homicide Unit began working together on the two cases. Detectives were able to obtain additional information about both homicides and recover additional pieces of evidence during this joint investigation. On March 30th, 2017, the same day Isabel Sellis' remains were identified, a detective showed Valerie a lineup of photos at her home. A photo of Christopher Clements was included. At that time, he was a level three sex offender who used to live in the same area of town as Maribel. It was documented that she did not pick out the image of Clements. As we mentioned in an earlier episode, investigators accessed items recovered initially by Maricopa County in relation to the burglary case there. On Clements' computer, they found images of girls between the ages of 3 and 13, some sexual in nature. They also found the phrase, body found in the desert, searched on the internet approximately four months after Maribel was recovered in a remote area of the county. An inmate who met Clements at the Lower Buckeye Jail told a Tucson Police Department detective in an interview in October of 2018 some of the conversations he had with Clements while behind bars. Clements reportedly told him the story of Valerie and her near-death experience on New Year's Day in 2014. The inmate claims Clements said the woman in the hospital, who was Valerie, was told not to say anything or she would be killed, but didn't keep her mouth shut. He specifically said Maribel was the woman's daughter. In connection to a burglary case in Maricopa County, police obtained letters that Christopher Clements wrote to his fiancée. We have a copy of these letters, some of them redacted. Several pages had red spots on them, which were later confirmed to be Clements' blood. In these letters, he discussed Maribel Gonzalez and Isabel Salas. This is an excerpt of a letter dated May 20, 2017, two months after he led investigators to the remains of Isabel Salas. That seems to reference both Tucson girls. On page 5, he says, I also have another idea. The area where YKW was found, there was another, and I'm sure it's unsolved as well. If it got leaked to the media that the place where YKW was found was the same place where another one was, the media would be in a frenzy and would put enormous pressure on law enforcement and the governor. Investigators believe YKW stands for you-know-who, meaning Isabel Salas. In another letter dated two weeks later, June 3, 2017, also on page 5, Clemens specifically writes the name Maribel Gonzalez and states she's around the same place as Isabel Salas. A section says, I checked. There's a guy upstairs in the high-profile pod that knows people I do. Everything is safe. And if it gets out about that other Maribel, I doubt they'll think anything on that. A report on the case from the Pima County Sheriff's Department stated a detective revisited the physical evidence on file and noticed a few things not tested by the DNA lab. Left and right hand clippings, hand swabs, and body hair pulls and combings. 
Those samples were then sent to DNA Labs International the next day. Two months later, an analyst contacted investigators to alert them that little male DNA was detected in the hair combings but could be used to develop a partial profile. Investigators asked Christopher Clements about Mirabelle while serving a warrant for DNA. We have a summary of the conversation, not the transcripts like previous conversations with law enforcement. When officers told him they were there for a homicide investigation not related to anything previously discussed, Clements was quoted saying, Shoot, you can ask questions, I mean. The detective showed Clements a photo of Mirabelle Gonzalez and asked him if he had ever seen or knew who she was. He replied, No, well... I don't know. Why? He was then documented saying he had possibly seen her before, and maybe he had not. When Clemens was told Maribel was murdered and asked if he had heard Maribel's name before, he stated, I don't know, and later said, it rang a bell. Clemens' DNA obtained from the search warrant was tested against the partial profile of DNA found on Maribel, and it matched. With this new information, we're now going to take you back to the announcement made by the Tucson police chief on the morning of September 15th, 2018. The new evidence and information in conjunction with the details and evidence from the initial investigation was presented to the Pima County Attorney's Office and then to the Pima County Grand Jury. On Friday, September 14th, 36-year-old Christopher Matthew Clements was indicted on multiple felony charges to include the murders of Isabel Mercedes Salas and Maribel Victoria Gonzalez. Clements was served the indictment at the Maricopa County Jail where he is being held in conjunction with unrelated matters. And so to explain more about the process of the indictment, it's my pleasure to introduce Pima County Attorney Barbara LaWall. Thank you, Chief. Good morning, everybody. You know, a child's disappearance will always raise an alarm in a community, and two children missing is a cause for a multi-alarm designation. And I'm really pleased to be able to say that Pima County prosecutors and all of law enforcement never gave up the hunt for the killer of these two little girls. The cases went unsolved, but they were never closed. The Tucson Police Department, the Pima County Sheriff's Department, along with prosecutors in my office and others, collaborated very closely, they worked relentlessly, and they put the pieces of the puzzle together. And it is the dogged persistence of the entire law enforcement community and all of the investigative teams and their passion to solve the mystery that finally led to the answer to the question, who took these little girls? And to the families of Isabel and Maribel, our hearts go out to you for the tragic loss that you've suffered for the long time that you've waited for a resolution. You need to know that we have met with the families and they are aware of the indictment of Chris Clements. It's now time to move forward, to bring closure to the anguish to these families and to our community, which suffered for the past six years with the missing girls. It's time for all of us 
the victim's family, and for our community to be able to heal. It's long overdue. I introduce you now to Sheriff Mark Napier. There could be no more tragic victim than a child. Uh, could be no more serious investigation than that of the homicide of a child. And today we celebrate extraordinary law enforcement work by so many people. Now that we've told you about both murder cases, here's an overview of all of the charges against Christopher Clements, laid out in the indictment filed on September 14th, 2018. 22 total. Two first-degree murder charges. Two kidnapping of a minor under 15. Two burglary in the second degree. One theft of property or services. One trafficking in stolen property. And 14 charges of sexual exploitation of a minor a dangerous crime against children. Retired Tucson Police Captain Richard Harper, who did not work on this case but has experience in other missing person investigations, gave us insight on how difficult solving these kinds of cases can be. Arrests are very rare uh, because of the fact that typically there's no witnesses. So um, arrests are made sometimes. Um, now that we've got uh, better technology, we've got more, we've got better science, um, the risk of arrest uh, for the uh, perpetrators uh, higher. Um, and it depends on whether or not the perpetrator's organized or disorganized. For example, like um, some rapists end up killing their victim, but they didn't plan to do that. It was an unplanned murder, and so a lot of times they'll um, the, during the course of the rape, they kill the victim, then they leave. They leave the victim there. So, for example, like if this was a child uh, predator and they were disorganized, they break into the house to find a, ch you know, they know there's children in this neighborhood, they break into a house to find a child um, to rape. Uh, what they'll do is, is uh, uh, during the course of that rape, if the child is making too much noise or starts to scream or whatever, that uh, perpetrator will may kill that child, uh, but that wasn't the intent going in. Uh, from that perspective, it just happened, and so um, the child is left there. Um, uh, a perpetrator who's more organized, who sort of is looking for children to take, may abduct them you know, out in the open because you can be a, a child can be abducted in less than 60 seconds. I mean, it can go that fast. You pull your car up, you open the door, you jump out, you grab the kid, you jump back in, and it's, you know, a minute maybe. So um, those are organized. That child is going to get taken somewhere, is going to be raped and then murdered. Because murder is part of the, when we think about the mindset of those particular individuals, the, the rape, the, the, the abduction is part of the thrill, the satisfaction that they get out of the act. Then the rape is, takes it to another level, and then the murder takes it to the ultimate level for them in terms of their uh, uh, gratification, their self-gratification. And they fantasize, those individuals fantasize about uh, abducting children and then raping them and then murdering them. You know, they're just a whole different person.
Magnus and Pima County attorney Barbara Lawal both stated Clements is innocent until proven guilty. Clements has pleaded not guilty. We reached out to Clements' lawyer for this podcast and did not hear back. Maribel's family says while the arrest and charges filed against Clements bring them some peace, it doesn't bring her back. In a way, you know, I'm happy they found him, and, but yeah, I don't think there'll be closure ever, you know. Your mind doesn't stop. It just goes and goes. You know, you think of your memories, you think of this guy, you think of how it happened, you think, I mean, it's just constantly going. It's gonna be hard because knowing that he took my daughter's last breath is, and he's standing right there in front of us, you know, that's, that's the, the hard thing. We caught up with Valerie Kalanji again after the arraignment of Clements, which she was in the courtroom for, and she said this while walking out of Pima County Superior Court. It's very hard, but something that you've got to do. But I thank you guys for everything and for being there. Next time on Disappeared in the Desert. If Christopher Clements is convicted in the death of Maribel Gonzalez, could her death have been avoided? Police documents reveal how an arrest of Clements for the death of Isabel Sellis could have possibly happened sooner. Disappeared in the Desert is a KOLD News 13 original podcast, hosted by Shaylee Sanders and Bud Foster. Special thanks to our editor, Jesse Zoller, writer and executive producer, Colleen Menadier, digital content producer, Mia Courtright, and executive producer of daily content, Michael Cooper. For more information about this case, visit KOLD.com.